MNK Talk YA now presents The Girl the Sea Gave Back, Part 1, by Adrienne Young. Welcome back to M&K Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we started the second book in a duology by Adrian Young. The first book was called Sky in the Deep. And the second book is called The Girl the Sea Gave Back. And we read, read up to chapter 17 for this week. So that's how far we got. I read up to chapter 16 and was feverishly reading the last chapter about 10 seconds before we recorded. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, man. Yeah. I got it, though. Got it in. The chapters are quick, at least, so that's good. I'm trying to remember where where did we end off again? He just got, what, should we go backwards, I guess, start at the beginning? Yeah. Oh, I, th- I thought that's what you were going to do. Yeah. So Sky in the Deep is actually 10 years before this one. So we're like in the same world and we have some returning characters, but it kind of starts like completely differently, I felt like. Um, And it took me a moment to kind of jump back into this world, at least. So I agree. And like the timeline was confusing, too, because this book actually opens like a few days after the battle against the Herja. And then it like jumps forward 13 years later. So I was it was hard for me at first to kind of orient myself time wise. And then there's some references to things that happened in the past, but then they also yep. jumped like seven years before. So it, <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I almost like needed like a timeline to keep, and we were switching perspectives. So the f- last book was all told from one perspective, I think, right? Am I forgetting something? It was all told from no, one's perspective. Yeah. Um, and this one, like the chapters alternate between uh, a new character whose name is Tova. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that right? I think so. And she comes from a new clan called the Kiers, Kier, 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 yeah, um, who are up in the headlands and never like leave that area. But she's been living with this other new clan called the Spells since she was six years old, and we can talk about that more in a minute. And then the other perspective we get is Halvard, who was the little boy in the last book, and now he is a grown man uh, and going to be chief of the Riki Asuka combined clan, whose name I also forgot. The Nadir. Yes. Yeah. And I'm so glad that we get Halvar because he was one of my favorite characters from the last book. And it's so cool to see him like all grown up. It is, but it also, it like feels, I wish there was like more connection to him before. I I almost feel like it could be anyone. I don't know. Oh, really? Like maybe, well, I guess, I don't know. He like references some of the other characters, but we haven't seen a ton of them besides um, Agi or whatever his name is. Mm -hmm. I guess so. Because I mean, you're very different from when you're 10 years old or however old he was in the first book. To being, what is he now, like 18, 19? Yeah. 20? I don't know. Something around there. Yeah, so you do change a lot. So I kind of get that, like, we don't see a lot of his old self. But maybe that's just because he was so young before. I think that's fair. And I actually, I really liked the chapter when it was seven years back and it was him because it kind of reminded me of... Because he's, again, asking, like, to be taught how to fight. And remember how in the first book, he he was kind of, like, constantly, like, wanting to learn and, like, be a grown-up and, like, learn how yeah. to wield weapons and how to, like, polish armor and make <laughs> fires and all kinds of stuff. So 
that part was kind of fun to see. But yeah, I mean, not that I totally think it could be anyone, but I, I kind of hope we see more of some of the other characters in the book so we get more of that connection to the previous story. We've like referenced his brothers and stuff, but we haven't seen... We haven't seen Aelin yet. Yeah, we haven't seen Aelin. We haven't seen Fist. We haven't seen much of anybody. And because the world has changed so much. It's not just... True. The fact that he's older, but also previously his clan was spending all their time preparing and fighting their rival clan, who they have now joined forces with and live peacefully. And they're a lot smaller because so many people were lost in the Herger raids and the war and stuff. So, so yeah, I'm rambling. So <laughs> what do you think about the um, new character, Toba? Let's talk about her. Okay, I have a lot of questions, obviously, <laughs> because she has a lot of questions about her origin. So when it started, it... So the beginning perspective is actually like her mother putting her in a funeral pier off to sea. Boat, yeah. And because they said she drowned. Yeah. So then <laughs> but I was. Then she wakes up later. I, I guess, know. And uh, the spell find her, and they think that she's the result of a failed sacrifice. Yeah. So I was confused about what really happened there, and I guess she is too, and we don't know the whole story. So did she? Do you think she actually died, and like the gods brought her back, or they really at least? At least they really believe she was dead, right? Because then for a little bit, I did think she was a human sacrifice. Yeah. Or something. But yeah, I went back and I read that too. I think she really died. Yeah. I mean, her mom's like, yeah, talking about her dead body and the fact that she drowned. And then she has that memory of drowning, right? Right, right. And then she has these tattoos all over her that mark her as uh, someone who can throw stones and like read fates. A truth, truth tongue. Yeah. And I'm like, who, who tattooed her? Like, was that something that they knew when she was born and she had them made when she was a child or? Well, I think so. I think her mother tattooed her because I feel like there was a reference to that at the very beginning that her mother had like okay. spent all that time putting the tattoos in. And then the other Cure guy who we met, um, who's friends with Halvard, what was his name again? K- Kijald or something? Kijald, yeah. Oh, how do you pronounce this? K-J-E-L-D. I mean, I, I gelled. Let's it. just say gelled and assume okay. the K is silent. <laughs> okay. So gelled. But gelled said something, too, about when um, Halvard was talking about seeing that symbol on her. He said something like, that's only in this one line of the cure people. So I think he maybe left after she died. Maybe. I, I don't know how much you know. Like, there's still a lot of questions. But I sort of get the feeling that he is he knows who she was. I do too, because he, we also learned that he was not banished. He chose to leave the, the cure. Yeah, but we're not sure why, or no. they wanted him back, it sounds like, which we're also mm-hmm. not sure why they wanted him back, if they just, like, missed him, or if... They were begging for him to come back. Yeah, you would think he has some kind of special skill, or they have a special... I mean, you know, you don't, like, just beg people who are happy and doing their own thing to... Right, right. ...abandon their life, so... So, yeah, I have a lot of questions about this North tribe that we don't know much about still. I agree. Especially because... Tova doesn't even know. So it's not like she's keeping yeah. secrets from us. She's like, I feel so bad for her. So basically she as she's grown up thinking that her family sacrificed her. <laughs> and then she was like rescued by this group of people who want nothing to do with her and kind of want to kill her. No. So she's been like raised kind of in isolation and fear. Um, and speaking of secrets, the guy who taught her to fight has some oh. secrets of his own. I'm also curious about that. Gunther or something? Right. Yeah. Uh, Gunther, yeah. And and I am i don't know why he decided to teach her to fight. Like, he really kind of put his own life on the line to, like, open himself up to her and work with her. Yeah, and he doesn't care about – I mean, he doesn't – he hasn't changed his attitude towards her 
openly, right. at least. Uh, I can only imagine that he started to care for her a little bit, or at least not think she's totally, entirely evil. But basically, everyone in this village is like, shoot the messenger kind of fear, right? She's yeah. interpreting fate. And even she, I mean, like, it seems like everyone has this understanding that these spinners are the ones who lay out the plan. And she, she just, just has, it. yeah. And I get, I mean, it's got to be hard to like hear it. But also, she's she was like a six-year-old girl, and now she's what? I don't know, 19, like you said, or something. And yeah. it's just so sad that she hasn't made like any – she doesn't have any real friendships. Because even the guy who saved her – Jorans. Yeah. Katala, yeah. Even he doesn't really see – I don't really trust him, and they don't seem super close. He seems fearful of her, and like like he's kept her alive – but he's hasn't like adopted like a fatherly role either. I don't know. I know. I, I'm like super curious about their relationship because like he saved her and like essentially raised her, but then like basically as soon as she could take care of herself, he like put her in this separate living area to be like, We want nothing to do with you. So, but it's like how can you raise someone from age six and feel like no tenderness to them? That's what's weird to me. Well, and and they just like call her to like do these readings which they're never happy with. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, I don't know, just, yeah, it's a very weird situation, and I just can only imagine how, like, lonely she is. I know, and it's, like, like the thing that they fear her, well, the thing that they're most angry about is that their their chieftain, Beckon, mm-hmm. his daughter, Vera, died, and Tova, like, cast the stones and, like, foretold her death. Yep. And everyone is blaming her because they said that, like, oh, this is the price Beckett has to pay for letting Tova live. Like, he should never have let her live. And it's just, like, it's such a common thing that, like, when something goes bad like that, you want to find some someone to blame. Mm-hmm. So they turn to her. But it's also just completely ridiculous. Like, she had nothing to do with it. But they're just, like, they need a scapegoat. And they need, like, someone on who they can unleash their rage. And so they picked her. Yeah. And I, I even buy – or I, I mean, I buy the whole thing. But I wish for her sake, even if in general that was how the spell people felt about her, that she had, like, one childhood friend or one, like, kind yeah. neighborly woman or something who, like, didn't – Hate her. Adhere to this, yeah, belief system and just – I don't know, because I also feel like they're like, oh, she died because Tova predicted that she would die, but Tova didn't make her die. She just happened to, like, let them know, like, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen, yeah. And and now she's foretold destruction of the, or, uh, oh, yeah. Ruination, or what was it? It was destruction or ruin or something. She foretells complete, well, she sees Hagalas, which is the hailstone that foretells complete destruction. And it's also known as the storm that devours. And she says that um, in the future, she sees that there are no spell. So all of their kind are gone. And again, this is where, you know how I always get weird about like fate and predictions too. What I like is that I feel like they're dealing with it in a, I mean, they're not like adhering to this, oh, this is my fate and it's going to happen no matter what. Like, I don't know. It, it feels a little bit like still, like, at least she's like, it's more complicated than people think. But, mm-hmm. you know, it could be the spell are gone in the same way that the Riki and the Aska are gone. That's exactly what I was going to Instead of think. having these rival tribes, we have one group of people or whatever. That was my prediction. I think yeah. they're not going to be destroyed. They're just going to be, like, absorbed by another clan. And, yeah. But that made more, that was easier to picture in the last book. This book, I, we have so many angry people and strong emotions (laughs) and I'm curious to see how they make peace I mean I feel like it has to be something with Tova and Halvard but I like am not really sure what is going to happen to allow them to bring these two groups together especially because Tova isn't really accepted by the spell in the first place yeah and and and, I mean we definitely have some big conflicts going on too because 
we have, like you said, some nasty people, especially that character Vig- Vigdis, Beckin's brother. Mm-hmm. Oof, what a piece of work. So he led an unsanctioned attack on the Nadir. I don't understand why they hate the Nadir so much, but... I, I think it's just like a power thing. So I think they were like the third biggest clan or something and the Riki and the Aska were always more important but they like were kind of safe off to the side and then when the Riki and Aska got pretty destroyed they're like hey now we're the biggest clan mm. and there's sort of this idea that there's this window of opportunity until they like rebuild or you know repopulate enough that they could like establish their role as the best okay group around that's my interpretation but i don't know if that's 100 percent true well and it seems like they're split on that too because vig vigdes is the one who's really championing that idea but beckon is the one who's like we we are not attacking them like we are keeping the peace and that's why vigdes went ahead and like led the raids against them like yep. without his brother's approval and it wasn't just him either though it sounds like mo so it was split, but it seems like more and more people have been leaning towards Big Dis, yeah. Battle. Mm-hmm. I agree. And then to make reparations, ooh, Beckon decides to present the Nadir with a sword. Mm-hmm. And he basically gives the sword to. Does he give the sword to Big Dis? And he's like, oh, you have to gift this. Um, but instead, Big Dis stabs the um, uh, leader of the. Nadir Espen mm-hmm. stabs the chieftain instead of gifting him the sword. He just stabs him with it. Which also, okay, I mean, I get <laughs> wanting revenge if you see someone kill your brother, the chief. But if you just stab the rival group's chief, like, you put your brother in a dangerous situation. Everyone there was at risk, and you didn't even prepare your brother for it. And obviously, he's a high target. If you just did the same thing to this, like, part of me yeah. is like, I mean, I get. He's an idiot. I get wanting to, like, blame someone else, or and, like, I get being angry, and I get wanting revenge. Like, all of that makes sense, but part of me is also, like, well, duh. Like, how... What did you think was going to happen? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because then it turns into, like, a killing spree. So they attack each other. Beckon kills Agi. Halvard kills Beckon. And now Vigdis is, like, swearing revenge against Halvard for killing his brother. And that also means, now that Espen's dead, that Halvard is the new chieftain. Yeah, which I don't even think the spells know that he's the chief it's just this almost like personal vengeance thing that he has and if anything i think the rest of the spell are like hey let's go do what we were planning to do and defeat this tribe before they can rally against us and he's kind of leading them down this other personal vengeance warpath (laughs) yeah to find halberd because they keep killing so many innocent people again it's sad when you know young people go to war every five years and kill each other and whatnot but it's so much worse to think of these trained warriors slipping into a village late at night and killing everyone there. Children, women, pregnant women, um, the old. I mean, just like, you know. Defenseless people. It's, yeah. yeah, it's honorless. Mm-hmm. It's completely honorless. And it's just, and it's so sad because it's all that destruction to get to one person. Yeah. Like, he thinks that uh, Halvard is in, I keep calling it Utah. It's not. Utan. <laughs> yeah. And every time I see it, I'm like, oh, he's in Utah. <laughs> now that's what I'm going to imagine. And um, Tova's the one who tells Vigdas where Halvard is going because, you know, now that their chieftain is gone, she's she's not really safe from anyone. Yeah. Um, but she knows that, like, if she can use her sight to help find Halvard so Vigdas can get this revenge, then he will keep her alive. So she basically agrees to find Halvard for him. And then they go to Utah and <laughs> kill everyone. Like, they just destroy the entire village, and Halvard hadn't even arrived yet. 
Yeah, that was also, again, it's interesting to see how, it's funny because I feel like the spell people don't want fate written in stone when it's like predicting they're going to die, right? But then when she's like, hey, I think he's going to be in the city at some point. I'm not sure if he's there yet. They're like, okay, we're going to go immediately. And then like are mad when he's not there. And it's like, okay, I told you, you know. And it was kind of cool. Again, her, she's just like more connected with these spinners and stuff naturally, I think. But then she like does this kind of, she like burns this plant, I guess, and inhales the fumes to connect more. And she like sees him and he sees her actually too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they have like this weird connection which again brings back this idea of fate and are they being drawn together and why and so he actually uh halvard after he killed the chief was rescued by some raiders who were his old friends mm-hmm. um one of them Bard was that other cure yeah asmund was the other yeah. oh yeah that was his, his buddy and they ran back to the city when they saw it smoking and everyone was dead they thought but then actually right when we left off it seems some spell at least are still there and they are narrowly escaping or about to escape or about to be caught. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure exactly what's happening, but it looks like Tova and Halvard are about to actually interact and meet in person. Yeah, I know. And I'm so interested to see what they're, I mean, I'm predicting the relationship is going to be like they fall in love, but they both have like this weird thing where they can like sense each other and they, they do have some weird connection going on. And so I really want to know why. Well, and I'm really hoping, I guess, I don't like feel super strongly about either one of them falling in love. Like, I'm like, great if they find that, but I don't feel, it's not like either one of them is currently in this place where I'm like, oh, they like need a love interest, you know? Yeah. And I'm mostly interested to see if Tova gets reconnected with her family in the headlands at all. Like if they find out she's still alive or if being connected with the guy who gelled helps her like get more answers to her history. Like I almost, I would. I would almost be happy if they were just, like, really good friends and, like, leaders of their separate... I mean, I agree. It's probably going to be a romance because, you know, <laughs> there's a girl and a boy and it's YA. And this is yeah. YA. <laughs> but, but I don't feel like I need it the same way that I, sometimes I'm like, oh, my goodness, just get together or whatever. This one, right, I'm not right. feeling that as strongly. I'm... Okay, so what do you think is going to happen in the second half of the book? Well, again, this whole timing thing and, like, what we're seeing that's real and what we're seeing that's not is pretty confusing. So I feel like they are about to enter... Act, Tova and Halvard. What I'm not sure about is if Tova is separate from the rest of the spell or not. I really like, I'm not sure. I sort of agree with what we were saying earlier that I think at the end of the day, we get like peace and happiness and the spell are no more because they're not a rival tribe anymore. But I don't really get how we get there right now with the current bloodlust and like lack of, I'm not really sure how we do it. What do you think? I'm not either. I I think she, I think Tova is going to go back to her old tribe or, or somehow meet her parents and learn if, if she really drowned, if she was brought back to life, why did they put her on a boat, if she wasn't dead. I think that's going to happen. And I think somehow she and Halvard will defeat Vigdus. I think he needs to be taken out. Yeah. And then somehow the rest of the spell need to come to peace with the Nadir. And maybe they'll just form one big tribe. Yeah, I guess my issue is I don't know who on the spell side can do that. Because again, Tova's not like a leader of that group. It would be one thing if they like trusted her. Yeah. Even if we defeat the bad brother, the good brother's dead. And like I don't... Doran is kind of useless. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he has enough sway or enough like of a backbone to... Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of curious. Like something else has to give and I'm not sure yet what it is. 
Yeah, I agree with you. There has to be some kind of catalyst or something that like forces the entire tribe to agree with her. Or she has some like clearer vision that she's able to communicate. Like I could see something with her gift and whatever, but I don't know. I don't know. But I'm I'm curious. Me too. But I agree with like how it's going to I think I agree with what I expect to happen at the end of the day, but I'm just like not entirely sure how we get from A to B right now. Agreed. Um, did you do any research this week? I did a little bit. So I was kind of interested in this whole idea of what Tova is able to do, especially as this new character. So I looked a little bit into the Norse view of fates and into rune casting. Oh, okay. So um, in Norse mythology, they have this group called the Norns, N-O-R-N-S. And they are the people who create and control fate. They're supposed to be female beings and they're super powerful because even the gods are subject to fate, kind of similar to this. Okay. And depending on the, the story that you read, there's like different numbers of them and there's like different origin stories, whether they came from the gods or the elves or the dwarfs or someone else. But there is this one common poem, I think it is, where mm-hmm. that's become sort of the standard image and there they have three I can't tell if they're three individual norns or if they're three categories of norns but um there's these three norns one is Erd who is related to the past one is Verdandi that's a cool name who is related to what is presently coming into being. And the third is the scold, and that's what shall be. And they're supposed to live by the well of fate, which is beneath, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this, Yggdrasil, mm. which is this tree in the Norse other world, which holds the nine worlds and its branches and roots. So basically, you know, you've got the past, present, and future working together to predict fate and like out again kind of this idea of like weaving the story of the world together and the main ways that you can kind of learn about the Norns fate crafting activity through traditional Norse literature is casting lots weaving a piece of cloth or carving symbols like runes into wood so yeah so so how do you so you access them by doing that so I think that's kind of the different views of what the Norns are actually doing okay but you can there are there's a lot of like people in Norse mythology lamenting their fate or petitioning the Norns to change Mm -hmm. their fate etc but in general it was sort of believed that you couldn't change your fate and all that was left up to you was really deciding how you would like the attitude you'd bring to embracing your fate but again there's also this idea of like things can be interpreted multiple ways Mm -hmm. and and whatnot so then i was reading a little bit about rune stone casting so (laughs) rune stones are like a a tool to help connect and understand what's going on in larger world and help make different decisions so they're often made from glass wood or stones and depending on which alphabet you use they'll have like different things carved onto them it's common in like ancient german and nordic tribes and it also spread to like the Anglo-Saxons and it's still popular today. And hmm. so there's a lot that go, you know, different interpretations and ways to do things. But in general, it's a way that you can find out answers to different questions that you might have. And while you may not give, get an exact answer, it tries I mean, it's kind of like tarot cards yeah. in my mind a little bit. You know, it's like. And like, do you get like a binary answer? Do you get like, do you ask like yes or no questions? Because I feel like. I don't know. No. Oh, okay. So you get, there's like this one thing I'm reading. There's 24 different stones in the alphabet and you, so it's not like one is yes and one is no. You don't usually, you can, you ask more like, 
what will happen if I do X, not like if I do, should I do X? And it can give you some indication of what that path looks like. So there's different ways that you can do it. One is to do a daily reading, which is you like focus on a question and you pick a stone out and then you try to interpret what that stone is telling you. For a broader issue, they say to do a three stone spread and so you like think about, you meditate about the current situation, the question you have, and the first stone you draw is your current physical condition. The second stone you draw represents your present mental condition. And the third stone you draw is your present spiritual condition. Or sometimes it's interpreted as past, present, and then future issue. But it's supposed to like kind of give you a more comprehensive view of what you're talking about. Um, and then the full cast, which is what I think Tova did is you like toss all of the stones and then the ones that like stick out the most to you hold your answer, which I think is why someone like a truth tongue in this story is the one who would actually interpret it because anyone could technically maybe throw the stones, but how do you read it? I'm trying to see if I can buy rune stones on Amazon. Well, I do. There is. I found a website where we Ooh. can cast rune stones online. Oh, let's do that. I found some on Amazon. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure they're... they're it's still like a thing that people do. So they're really pretty. Oh, where do I go to cast my runestone? Go to nordicrunes.info slash three underscore cast dot php. Nordicrunes.info. Here wait, I'll slash... send it to you. Oh, yeah, I just sent it. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a question. Oh I know. Should I ask that first? Um, I'm gonna ask about I feel like I always have questions. Okay, here's some different categories. General, education, travel, career, health, finances, family, love. So it says, on this page, you will be able to cast three runes for a reading based both on your question and your category. Each rune has a meaning associated with it, which will vary depending on whether the rune is upright or inverted. The first rune drawn will give a reading with a view on the past. The second gives a view on the present and the third a view on a possible future. Ooh, what, what, okay, what category should we do? I feel like I want to ask career. Oh, I was, okay, let's both do that. Okay. Are you focused on your thought? Yes. Okay, I'm going to cast mine now. Did you put a type of question in? Yeah. Okay. I just put something about, well, I put thoughts about next career steps. Okay. Allow the runes to guide you to the things you already know deep within yourself. Their meaning may not always be instantly understandable, but will come to be so. The runes are only able to guide you within your own moral and ethical boundaries. Okay. Look deep inside yourself for their meanings, for the answers you seek are already within your knowledge. The runes should resonate with your life and help you to find the direction to provide you with a better and brighter future. Okay. Let's see. So I got the L has as my first rune, and it's an inverted orientation. Mm, what does that mean? It means that I have been agreeing to too many requests and now feel as though I have a heavy load. Oh. Yes, that is so true. Yeah, that is pretty true. Well, all right, what's your second one? Okay, my second one is I was, which kind of looks like a Z. And the rune's orientation is upright, which suggests that your path may be troublesome at the moment with setbacks and delays hindering your journey. Life may be moving at a slower pace than you would like. Whoa, that's also true. That's crazy. Okay, and then future is Isa, which looks like a straight line. The rune's orientation is upright, which suggests there may be problems or delays ahead with your business or work relationships. Oh, no. There may be a time of frustration and delays to test you. Do not allow yourself to get angry or impatient. Instead, use this time to reassess your goals, dreams, and objectives and your place on the path to them. This is crazy. Ugh. That is exactly what you're going through right now. It is, but I was hoping it would say, and tomorrow everything will be perfect. <laughs> it seems like you still have a bit of a rocky path, but I feel like it will change. Well, hopefully that just means like through the rest of December. Yes. Right? Yes. Like by, by the new year, maybe. Here's hoping. Okay, so for the past, I cast the rune Ingas, and the rune's orientation is upright, 
It says, Angus is the perfect time to finish things that you started. So I should try to complete as much as possible and be honest with myself and get rid of things that are distracting me from what I want. Or get rid of things that are distracting you that you'll never work on again or never complete. Whoa. Do you feel like you've been wrapping up some projects? Well, I've been doing like a lot of more creative writing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really interesting that it's like complete as much as possible and get rid of stuff that you'll never work on again. Yeah. Whoa. And then it also says focus on your energy on new paths that lie ahead and opportunities that will appear. Stay positive. Surround yourself with positive people. Believe in yourself, your abilities, and your capacity to learn and change. Um, so this is a great step towards your goals and dreams. Wow. Okay. So in present. I like it. Yeah. That's pretty good. Okay. Um, so the present I cast Elhaz and the runes orientation is upright. Elhaz indicates it's a time when you should be taking center stage. Oh, concentrate on yourself, focus on your dreams and goals, re-examine what you want in life. Um, if you are thinking of a new venture that could be considered risky, then it is possible to succeed if you build it on a solid foundation of, of knowledge and support. Spending your life regretting that you did not try is much more discouraging than trying and possibly not succeeding. I feel like this also could fit in with your creative side project. Oh my god, so much, because I'm always so nervous about like, oh, I'm not good enough, like, I'm not good enough to write a book, I'm not good enough to like, you know, do things like that, but I, but it's nice to think that like, you know, you'll regret it if you don't try. Well, and as an early reader, I disagree with your assessment, <laughs> but. Thank you. There is the potential for success if you make an attempt. If you never try, you will never know what you can accomplish. Ah, okay. Okay. The feature. I cast the rune Othila. The rune's orientation is upright. Oh, this is interesting. Othila indicates that inheritance is important. It may not be monetary or material, but it is more likely one of knowledge, skills, a project, a job, or some sort of family tradition. It may be you who is receiving this, or more likely it is you who will be giving it to another. Hmm. That is really interesting. So it's all about like how you're influenced in, throughout your life by your family and your friends. And they're, This is cool. This is really cool. It's like you're possibly unaware of all the lives you've touched so far in your journey. The simplest good deed to ha can have a long-lasting effect. This is cool. It says, imagine yourself as a coin passing through many hands on your journey from being minted. You may stay in a while in some places, or you may be passed on several times in a single day. You have the potential to reach a huge number of people. That's cool. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Hopefully that's about your creative ventures too, and you're just going to reach a ton of people because <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> your book's going to be a bestseller, so there. <laughs> wow. This is interesting. So everyone bookmark this site, yeah. and from now on, run all your ideas by it. Cast <laughs> your stone. And tell us what you got. Yeah. Definitely bookmarking this page. I almost want to like save this because it was so nice. It was so nice. I, do, I did copy it into an email to myself, so you should too. And I like that we, we asked similar – or, you know, we picked the same checkbox at least. Yeah. And then – Got such different results. Our answers are very different. Yeah. Yep. And rang true. So, so yeah. What did you research? Uh, or should we do more? Can we cast more? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm probably going to in my spare time. So I researched omens. Ooh. Because I thought it was interesting how Tova keeps seeing like the Nighthawk as an omen and there was like an early frost that was like an omen of doom. So she like keeps seeing bad omens everywhere or omens that she's like not certain how to interpret. So I researched a little bit of, um, it's kind of similar to yours, but it's more like how omens were interpreted throughout the world and throughout history. 
Okay. So in the ancient East, there was a practice in the first half of the second millennium BC, and it was pursued by like kings and um, royalty in the ancient East. And they were interpreted through observing irregularities and abnormalities of the entrails of a sacrificial sheep. Oh, wow. Yeah. That seems involved. Not something I would want to do. But basically, they would communicate with their god through the entrails and kind of interpret their meaning. Okay. So does that mean... Okay, keep going. So in Greece, an omen was defined as um, a bird. So like a vulture or some kind of carnivorous bird. They would observe the way the bird cried and the direction it flew. And then people would predict the future based off of what birds would do. And they also saw lightning or thunder as omens sent from Zeus and then paid attention to the direction in which they saw or heard the lightning come. So hmm. so vultures from the left, vultures flying from the left was considered a bad omen and flying to the right marked a positive or promising omen. So hypothetically, if we were standing across the pond from each other looking at each other (laughs) and a vulture flew in the middle of the pond we would interpret it different ways yes because one of us would see it from the left and one from the right i mean think about like people facing each other in a battle right yep that's fair um they also judged good and bad omens from the willingness or unwillingness of a victim to approach an altar and be slaughtered for ritual sacrifice um who's willingly approaching i know that's (laughs) what i said i was like well either people or sacrificial lambs that they would like observe okay how an animal i guess a lamb may not know what's going on as much maybe okay (laughs) In Rome, they also used birds to interpret the will of the gods, and they really were into birds. I don't know why, but, like, the combination of a raven on the right and a crow on the left was favorable. I don't think I can tell the difference between a raven and a crow. (laughs) Me either. (laughs) They also would study the behavior of domesticated chickens before embarking on important enterprises, such as, like, senate meetings or the passage of a new law or a battle. It's just funny to think, like, of all the animals I know, like, the chicken being the one that you go to. Or advice. I have no idea why they were so obsessed with birds, but it was known as taking the auspices. And then, and that was when you would take the liver, lungs, and entrails of an animal sacrifice to interpret the will of the gods. Okay. And so, were you checking like how they fell out of the body, or what was Ugh. in them, or what are you looking at when you look at the entrails? I think that's a really good question. I'm guessing like when it spills out of the body. Sounds gross. Yeah. Again, it makes me wonder sometimes, like, why did we decide that this was, like, the thing we were going to observe? Like, I sort of get, like, lightning and stuff, Mm -hmm. because especially if you don't understand weather yet, it's like, oh, there's this thing in the sky, and, like, I don't know where it came from. But, like, the way a lamb's intestines fall out of its body when it's been sacrificed seems like (laughs) kind of a random thing to pick. I mean, no more random than chickens, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess like reading or like taking the auspices was very um, important before big events. So there was a man named Marcus Claudius Marcellus and he was, um, he like threw in his candidacy for a position on the consul. And when he was in the middle of his election, a thunderclap interrupted him and he immediately gave up his candidacy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, And then he decided from then on that he would travel in in a closed litter, went on important businesses to avoid any sight of bad omens that might interrupt his plan. Oh, man. So are there certain people who can interpret? Like, is there like a role, you know, kind of like the um, Tala in this group, like who's more connected to the gods and their symbols who would like do the sacrifice and interpret it? Or is it like anyone can do? No, there were like divine consultations that they would. Okay. 
Or or they also believed that you could just see an omen. They were called private omens. And so it was like if you privately observe a bad omen, that could affect you too. So like um, in 2000s, no, in 217 BC, the consul Gaius Flaminius had his horse collapse right before a battle and he ignored it and he was defeated in the next battle he fought in. Hmm. And there was another consul, Laemilius Pallas, and he was about to launch a campaign against um, a king, King Persia, Perseus, and he received a private omen. He overheard his daughter say that her dog Persa had died. And he was about to start this campaign against King Perseus and the similarity of her dog being named Persa, like it's similar to the name King Perseus. So he took it as a sign that Perseus would be defeated in his battle, which he was. Hmm. It is funny too, though. I think there's some degree of like, if you want to see something you can totally, yeah or like you know if you look for like I feel like I do that even with my own life right like, yeah I'm a little bit superstitious and I'm like oh I need a sign and I'll like <laughs> ignore signs that aren't what I actually want to see and then I'll be like oh that light turned green really fast as I was approaching which must mean I should go for it mm-hmm. or you know I mean like <laughs> whatever but it is funny so there was a guy Licinius Crassus he took a ship and set out for Syria But when he was about to embark on the ship, there was a fig seller who was calling out Canaeus, which meant Canaan figs. So she was like selling figs and she kept saying Canaeus, Canaeus. And it was very similar to the word Cavaneus, which means beware, don't go. And this man, Licinius Crassus, still embarked on his journey and he didn't return alive. Oh man, you gotta listen to those things. I know. It would also be fun, not fun, but interesting to think about like how you could drop private omens on other yeah. people to like convince them to do or not do things you to like, manipulate them. Like, I feel like if you knew that the rival group held some of these beliefs, you could like drop a dog named whatever <laughs> near them. Or I don't know. I mean, I don't know. But like, <laughs> I mean, don't you think? Yeah, I'm sure that happens. Like, I'm sure back then people were very superstitious and would try to place omens in front of people to get them to stop. Do, like. Because imagine that guy at the Senate, like, if you wanted to stop someone from launching their candidacy, like, set up a bad omen and they'll most likely give it up. Yeah. But some people are very stubborn. Like, Caligula, for example, he dreamt that he stood before the throne of Jupiter, who was the king of the gods to them, and that Jupiter kicked him down from heaven to earth. The next day, he was assassinated. Oh, man. Yeah, and, and he ignored the premonition. He was like, whatever, I don't know. It was just a dream. But then the other thing is, if they are truly, if it's fate in the same way that, like, you know, the Nordic tradition of fate where you can't change it, it's almost like, I don't even want to know. Yeah, exactly. Like, if I'm going to die tomorrow, but I can't do anything about it. That's a really good point. Like, why cut open an animal and spill their entrails just to, like, see if you're going to win the battle or not? Like, what if you get a bad a bad omen? Would you give up the battle? I guess maybe. I guess if you could, if you're allowed to, like, but what if it's just you're going to lose your next battle? Do you just, like, stop being in the army? Yeah, exactly. And are you even allowed to do that? <laughs> Probably not. I don't know. I mean, I could see, like, little things, but, like, if you already have the whole army assembled, like... We're... Yeah, the the opponent may not even <laughs> let you. I mean, you know, like, you can, like, try to retreat, and they're going to be like, nope, we're here. Sorry. We're killing yeah. <laughs> we got the favorable omen today. The bird's flying from the right. But that's where I have, like, I mean, we've talked about this with all the books that involve some kind of, like, fate or prophecy or whatever I like always it's just like so it can be interpreted so many different ways and there's so much like self-fulfilling prophecy and there's so much you can pick which signs you want to listen to or not but also if you can't do anything about it I don't know how the knowledge helps you I don't know how it does either 
Unless you're asking before you're trying to make a big decision and be like, oh, should I do this or not? Yeah. But if you actually have a choice, but that's where, again, it's like if it's fate, then I'm going to make the right choice or I'm going to make whatever choice I'm going to make regardless yeah, of. that's true, I guess. I don't know. It gets in this whole like cycle of I just overthink it. <laughs> well, should we keep reading this book? Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. What do you think about this book compared to the last book? Because again, it's not truly a series. It's. I like it better. A companion novel. I think I do too. I'm more into it. Although I think the last book was, well, I'm just curious to see how this one ends. Because I think last book dealt with certain ideas. Well, I don't know. I'm curious. I just felt like the last book was a little bit predictable. And right now, like, I have some idea of what's going to happen. But I still have, like, a lot of unanswered questions that I feel like are going to have really cool answers. So I'm kind of, like, more excited to learn about what's going to happen in this book. I think that's fair. And I do think even though it's not super, super tied and you could totally read this as a standalone, the fact that we already know the world and this character and the history of this tribe that came from warring clans and came together, like gives us a little bit more going into it in the same way that, you know, when we're talking about as a standalone book, in some ways it didn't have the same like depth that a series does. I feel like even though this is also a standalone because we have this background of the world already, there's a little bit more depth to it than the last one i don't know i would agree with that oh cool um do you want to hear a joke this week oh yes i do oh my goodness of course i do (laughs) okay how does a computer get drunk get drunk Uh uh-huh um i i have no idea how it takes screenshots (laughs) oh my goodness (laughs) (laughs) it's really bad like it that's so funny though (laughs) i couldn't think of anything i was like excel powerpoint (laughs) That doesn't have anything to do with drinking. It's so bad. Um, if you guys want to get in touch with us, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram at mnktalkya and tell us what your room says. Yeah. Or if you um, look at any entrails. Are you going to buy some? Probably not. I already have tarot cards, so <laughs> I should learn to read those before I add another uh, another thing into the mix. And as long as I still like this website, I may just go here instead of trying to cast my own runes. Yeah. Get a better, better answer next time, though. And I think uh, if you do check entrails of an animal, I don't actually need to know about no. it. No, yeah, keep that. To- actually, no one needs to know about that. You should probably keep that to yourself. Also, just don't do that. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. And we only have one more episode before our end of the year, right? I know. Yeah. Last season or last year's series of the year. So also, if you guys have things you want to hear at our end of year wrap up or questions you want us to answer, stats you want to hear, um, let us know. know. I actually found this really cool thing I'm going to ask you when we do that episode. Ooh, okay. I can't wait. I love our recap. And our blooper reels. I know. They're so fun. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I'm nervous about this year. I feel like- Yeah, that one's going to be rough. (laughs) We've had a couple rough. (laughs) Toby will make an appearance for sure. Of course. (laughs) He always does. All right. Bye, bookworm. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.